listening to The Chartographers. It is a journey. I was looking at when we were posting some of the tracks earlier, the very first episode that we did of the season, which was Steely Dan. Great episode. Love it. Uh, but I checked, and it was like posted eight months ago. I'm like, have we really been doing season three <laughs> yeah. for the better two-thirds of a year? We really stretched this one out. Well, yeah, because we only have, like, there's so many few episodes of the season are single episodes. Most They're of them are broken up into parts. two pieces. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because we cared that much more. Some episodes, like fucking Whitney Houston, which should have been a single episode, happened to be two. There's a great discussion. Listen to them all, guys. They're fantastic. Rank us on iTunes. But most importantly, you're listening to The Chartographers. It's a music-loving podcast for music-loving people, and I can't believe... And initially, you clicked on the episode. You know what you're getting into. When I saw that this is the artist that we were going to be ending our season with, my initial reaction may have been what a lot of you listeners' initial reactions are, which is... Really? Which is him? Wow. Which is... I, uh, I completely disagree. Wrong. I think that plen- plenty of people would not react to this Well, way. no, no, no. Because here's the thing. Although he's a very well-selling artist, I think just generally Billy Joel is someone who excites and also, you know, is someone who annoys a lot of people. Because his pop hits were omnipresent, which have been dominated and carried on for decades. And everyone from theater kids to old baby boomers, everyone always has a song that they tie <laughs> themselves to. Well, yes. Literally those two groups. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, too, because I feel like there's a lot of songs that, like, when you look at the chart history, you know, it's peaked at number 14 or number, like, yeah. 22. And Doesn't even, feel right. even those are, like, omnipresent. Like, right. Mm-hmm. I know, and so he's had quite a career, and guys, we're going to dig into it. It's the last artist of the season, that's why we're talking about the one, the only, the guy who's best known as Dodger from the animated film Oliver and Company, the guy who's best played by a Belushi in a comedy sketch, that Brooklyn-born piano popper who writes songs that sound like Broadway showstoppers wearing sharkskin jackets and with the velvet collars on. <laughs> that's right, guys, we're talking about Billy Joel! I would like to note that you said Brooklyn. Um, he's from Long Island, and there are now a thousand people who have strong opinions about pizza and the New York Mets who are out the door waiting to kill you. <laughs> Attila, if you're nasty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Who spiked your drink? You're, you're like full carnival operator Well, tonight. listen, it's the last episode of this. We're not going to be do this for a good <laughs> Oh, yes! I just made Bryce spit take. So you Billy, haven't introduced him yet. Billy Joel, uh, <laughs> born, born in the Bronx, and actually he was the son of Jewish immigrants. Uh, his father was actually a very very well-regarded pianist. Uh, he wound up taking up on that, but then his father did this thing where he left when he was four years old, so he kind of had to... Uh, <laughs> that thing you do. That thing that yeah. you do. You know, but Tom Hanks movie. Uh, but the th- yeah, like, he wound up uh, discovering he has a love of piano. He also wanted to try a bunch of other sports things, because apparently when you're walking all of your piano books over to the only place in the neighborhood that does piano lessons, it also does ballet lessons, so due to, uh, you know, early Americana views of masculinity, he's like, well, I gotta be a badass then. Formed an initial bands and realized like wait that girl that I had the crush on who wouldn't give me the time of day she's looking at me she's looking at me as like oh wow he's talented he's good at something and they paid me at the 
end of the gig? You can do this? Like, he was hooked from there on. And the thing is, Billy Joel has had a lot of fucking setbacks. Of all the artists we've done, there's some who've endured personal tragedies, and there are those who've endured just, you know, difficulty with the industry or business. Billy Joel is more of a specific business industry person because he got fucked over by the industry about 800 different ways, and he powered through and persevered. It's kind of crazy. And also the fact that he's had the hits that he has, then the styles that he's had, and his constant need for artistic validation. Guys, it's a journey. We're gonna mm-hmm. go on it. We're gonna rank the albums of Billy Joel. Now you might be asking yourself, who's got that razor-sharp wit to do that? Sharp as a knife? 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 Let me tell you. Uh, first off, there's me. I'm Evan Sonny. You might know Get me as... my house. <laughs> you might know me as the interview's editor of Pop Matters. You may know me as a writer for MSN and other places, but most importantly, I hope that you know me as the host of this podcast, because I love this podcast dearly and profoundly. And most importantly, if you know anything about this podcast, then you know the person sitting next to me, the Phil Ramone to my Billy. That's right. The Aww, one, yeah, the only t- co-creator of the podcast, Taryn O'Reilly! Hello! Happy 45th mm-hmm. artist that we're doing. Baby. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm so glad we're finally here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it's been the longest This time. was... Uh, <laughs> it's been... Well, this, this one was one of the first artists we've done in a while where by the time the episode was rolling around, I was like, I am so sick of Billy Joel. <laughs> Not because it's bad. It's just, you know, there's 12 albums 12. in a particular style. Fucking 12. You know, and we've we've done more than that even. I don't, I don't know what it was about Billy specifically, but I think part of it was too, it was I am fairly familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, which you know, I was not. I just knew a lot of the pop hits, but I couldn't like circle around a certain album. And it wasn't like, let's turn up for Down Easter Alexa. Yeah. Literally no one has ever done that. I kind of have. Wait, yeah? Yeah? You like that one? Oh, he gets so crunk to it. Well, guys, let's introduce this other voice over here. The person sitting around in the studio, looking, leering. That's right, guys. Uh, he is actually a returning guest. You may have heard him on Season 1, Episode 3, when we did Radiohead. You may know him as a writer for Pop Matters. You may also know him as a writer for Consequence of Sound. That's right, guys. Here he is. Bryce Zell. Sibilance. Welcome uh, back everybody. to the studio. Welcome. Thank you both. I know. Uh, I'm extremely excited and... I apologize. I know. I uh, went to, um, I'm uh, here in Chicago for the weekend, and um, there's a, a bar that I frequent here when I come into town, and I told uh, my bartender, who's also a very savvy music guy, I was like, hey, I'm doing a podcast where I rank all of Billy Joel's albums, and his response was, and I quote directly, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So long story short, uh, we so got a journey ahead of us. Uh, shout out to Beer Miscuous and to my friend Austin, um, at Baynard on Twitter. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. Um, he has a pitch for a, a, a Stone Roses podcast um, in which you rank the two Stone Roses albums. Oh, okay. That's, that's, what a challenge that's going to be. All right, well, guys, listen. We're going to rank the Billy Joel albums. Oh what are the Billy Joel albums? Let me tell you. Uh, there is, of course, his 1971 singer-songwriter debut, Cold Spring Harbor. There is uh, his first pop hit in the form of the album Piano Man from 1973. Mm-hmm. There was his recorded on the road and quickly released Street Life Serenade from 1974. There's his fuck a producer, I'll produce, Turnstiles from 1976. His first collaboration with Phil Ramone in The Stranger from 1977. His second collaboration with Phil Ramone, the big pop hit that is 52nd Street from 1978. There is his fuck all y'all, I can rock out too, Glass Houses from 1980. There's his fuck rocking, I'm an artist now, The Nylon Curtain from 1982. There's his fuck artistic 
the credibility doo-wop's fun an innocent man from 1983 hey now there's his uh, album that has a lot of production from the 80s called the bridge from 1986 <laughs> there's his phil collins album stormfront from 1989 oh, that's real and <laughs> And most importantly, That's there's his post-Disney excitement that is River of Dreams from 1993. Uh, now, those are 12 albums. If we're talking about all the albums of Billy Joel, we should probably talk about that uh, person with the matted hair, and it's a wig, actually. They look like they're a person wearing fancy clothes in the room. The classical album that is Fantasies and Delusions. No. What the fuck was that? I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting a damper on that album right what, now. What? Yeah. I got I, it. It was very poorly articulated. For anyone who has it. no idea what you're talking about, that was just like a mire of confusion. Like what? Which is also an accurate description. I of mean, fantasies and okay, yes, okay, yeah. fair. It is the the classical album that he made in collaboration with his father and brother, right? Right. And it was interesting though because I feel like I, earlier in the week the idea was that we were going to rank this with the other albums too because Billy Joel that is the thirteenth album that's what yeah. it is. But the thing is that like the more time I spent with it, even though that was my initial instinct, it's just like putting a classical album next to pop albums. It's such a different animal, right? Not so. only would we be ranking it very lowly if we were ranking it because it's just out of its element here, yeah. Mm-hmm. But also it would feel weird putting it anywhere it's like is it Ooh. better than Stormfront I mean yeah yes, probably but like yeah. well, I will say by itself as a classical album I very much enjoyed it uh, it's yeah. very much uh, like he was frequently cited uh, Beethoven as one of his favorite composers yeah. uh, followed by Mozart I get little elements of Chopin in there like there's still, like some nice just like yeah. shifts and moods and changes in there he tries actually a lot of different styles over the course of the tracks on there it's a pretty, it's pretty good. Right, and it's know? not too surprising that it's successful because a lot of, I mean, the thing that he didn't lose as his career went on was the, like, the like, stripped down to piano ballads were, like, the mm-hmm. best stuff on the later albums. And so it makes sense that, like, going to a classical style would be back in his element mm-hmm. after all of the production mistakes mm-hmm. that were everything <laughs> after Glass Houses. But... <laughs> we'll get th- we'll listen. But the, we will but get there. I should also add, with, with Fantasies and Delusions, the trick is that he is not performing on that record. Correct. It's either Richard U or Richard... G- it's either Y-O-O or J-O-O. I can't mm-hmm. remember the last name. But... That the reason why uh, Billy Joel didn't perform on that record is because he admitted, and he admits in many interviews post uh, River of Dreams, that the kind of piano playing that he does, especially with his most recent kind of extravagant live tours, is like all of the melodic stuff is in the right hand, and then the left hand is just doing bass, ostinatos, or chords. Mm-hmm. Very simple. And so for the music that he was attempting to write with Fantasies and Delusions, it was more. You know, there's a piece in there. It's like a minute long. It's called like Invention in C Minor or something like that. And it's like a Chopin prelude. Like it's it's interesting. It's in you know it's it like does, kind yeah. of moody and stuff. But the thing about one reason why that album doesn't really count is because so much of the heavy lifting in terms of interpreting the music that's there is on the pianist's mm-hmm. hands and not on Billy Joel's. So it would be much in the same way that it would be, for example, impossible to do a chartographer's Beethoven edition because you've, but you'd have to sort through, oh, okay, which interpretation of this symphony is the best one? Yeah, and, and it's Gustavo Dudamel, as we know, in every <laughs> single possible case. So, <laughs> most importantly, we have 12 albums to rank. We're very excited to do it. If for some reason we're familiar with the format, we will go ahead and we will debate, we will rank it, we will take other people's opinions into consideration because we're kind, nice, wonderful, generous people yes. like that. Uh, and it's a good debate because we've been listening to this for close to two weeks, in some cases entire lives. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. <laughs> so most importantly though, 12 albums, 12 slots, Close Spring Hardware, Piano Man, Street Life, Serenade, Turns House of Stranger, 50 Seconds, Street Glass, House of the Island Curtain, and Innocent Man, The Bridge, Stormfront, and River of Dreams. Bryce yes. is Zell. Okay. 
12 albums, 12 spots. If you had your personal druthers, I'm just curious, mm-hmm. what would you nominate Okay, as the worst Billy Joel album? Uh, so, this is <laughs> difficult for many reasons. Uh, one of which is that... So, I've been negging uh, the both of these wonderful gentlemen to, to do Billy Joel for uh, quite some time. And I realized upon actually being asked to do this episode that I was like, wow, I only like like 50% of his music. <laughs> like and on an album to album basis. Because yeah, yeah, I yeah. came to him through classic rock radio growing mm-hmm. up. Oh, yeah. And so uh, there are like, you know, several albums worth of incredible singles that I like. But in terms of taking each album on its own, I was mm-hmm. like, hey, all right. Um, th- so I say this with some, tre- this, is a, this is a nomination that I have some trepidation around because this okay. is one that I know that many billy joel fans and billy joel himself would put in this last position but i would not put it there i would put it a little bit more my nomination for number 12 is stormfront um and i say that with the acknowledgement that the kind of default record or uh uh, album for this spot is cold spring harbor in large part because the album was not to billy joel specifications famously it was sped up in production um, accidentally. So, yeah, accidentally, yes. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was released that way, and Billy Joel didn't have the rights to the music to change it for a long enough time. And there are a couple of classics, um, uh, such as uh, Everybody Loves You Now and She's Got Away, mm-hmm. that have endured despite the original production things that marred that album for so long. But because... And this is difficult. The question is, are you evaluating the songs or the album as it was produced? And when you listen to Billy Joel talk about it, he's like, I fucking... I hate that record. I, it doesn't live oh, up okay. to me. Okay. My nomination, number 12, Stormfront. Okay, let's talk about Stormfront yes. then, before we get into the back history of the other one. Uh, Stormfront is just weird because I feel like An Innocent Man was a giant hit. you got to keep in mind, mm-hmm. in 1983, he basically in kind of like found new love in his life because the one thing that is kind of surprising, and if you're a fan of Billy Joel, I guess it's kind of true, I just was surprised to learn how bitter his streak runs. And all the way, even all the way back to Cold Spring Harbor, there are some bitter-ass songs that on there. There's always mm-hmm. this little bit of venom that's always lurking mm-hmm. underneath the songs. Like, honestly, like some even some of his bigger hits that he has, like, when you goddamn listen to She's Always a Woman, mm-hmm. like, it's just like, someone fucking hurt you, man. Like, it's mm-hmm. crazy. But the thing is, An Innocent Man, which was both uh, not only a celebration of his newfound love with Christy Brinkley, it was also a, like, you know, throwback, doo-wop, let's go into these early pre-rock and roll style kind of thunk. It was huge. It was gigantic. So what do you do to follow that up? And apparently with both The Bridge and Stormfront, because I kind of, because they're released uh, uh, only a couple years apart, it's crazy how, like, the production style of the 80s didn't do Billy Joel any favors. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like, he's a piano popper. It's a constant thread. It's a constant thread through this podcast. We cover an artist who started in the (laughs) 60s or 70s, Uh and once you get to their 80s outfit, you're like, ooh, this is rough. Like, people who came into their own in the 80s knew how to write songs and produce to that sound. Mm-hmm. But people who were from the earlier era, most of them just couldn't figure it out. And any hits that they had were flukes on otherwise horrible records. Mm-hmm. You know? And so with Stormfront, we get We Didn't Start the Fire. Oh, God. Which, which is a hit, is very recognizable. It's bad. However, is it's terrible. Extremely it's bad. just a list of things. Which which Joel himself recognizes, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Be he will and he was like, Well, you know, no one reads history anymore, so I wanted to make a song. Don't they? Where, Don't where they all of history is, is inside of it. And you that's all you need. And it's like, no no, because 
you don't actually explain any of the things that happened. You're just like, Vietnam! And everyone's just supposed to I know. Mean, except yeah. except JFK blown away, what else do I have to say? There's a little bit more detail there. <laughs> I eBay, D-Day, Pizza Domino. Stop it. Stop rewriting <laughs> We Didn't Start the Fire. It doesn't deserve it. Except here's the thing about We Didn't Start the Fire. And like, listen, it's a terrible song, but it's also like... That melody is so fucking annoyingly catchy. And it's one of those, yeah. like, every once in a while, like, he's great at anchoring almost every single album with usually at least there's some hit that he knows is a hit. Also, you know, I really like the intro of We Didn't Start yeah. the Fire. When that, that drum fill's coming in and it's the boop, doo, 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 doo. And then the guitar's kind of, like, playing along yeah, with it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, okay, that, cool. Like, that's gr- and then the verse starts and you're like, oh, right, this is what this song is. Men. Right. But can I, so before we get more into the specifics of this record, I have to ask, because you just alluded you said you like, go to talking about yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you said you know he had to reckon with the production styles of the 80s when fundamentally he was a piano popper the question that I think that kind of has to guide our discussion of these 12 very different records is how do you understand what his kind of core style is that remains consistent because my view of him is that he's the bridge between the great American songbook era so, like, when you have, like, Cy Coleman writing songs and, like, Cole Porter writing songs mm-hmm. and you have, like, artists mm-hmm. kind of performing them, they're jazzy Scott kind Joplin. of, yeah. like, soft, what we would call, like, soft jazz Yeah, now. and there is de- there's definitely some, like, musical theater ballad. Exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, Broadway stuff. So he's the bridge Rubier between Rag. that yeah. and the rock and roll era. Because you have songs like She's Got Away uh, and Vienna, which to me smack of that standard, kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a song that someone will be performing 100 years from now. Yeah. And then you have... In, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to get into other albums, but like in Glass Houses and some other records where he's like, I'm a rock and roll guy, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, and one of the reasons why he, and this and Stormfront is to me exemplary of this, it's why I nominate it in the 12th spot, is that that sort of thing, like his ability to sort of transcend eras or like straddle two eras breaks down. Oh, Absolutely. There is no disagreement about that at all, because the thing about the bridge and Stormfront especially is that it doesn't feel like... I mean, the thing about 70s songwriting and pop songwriting especially is that very often there's... I mean, it was a sound of an era, but often a lot of these things define an era. Like, when you think of the sound of the 70s, like, you might think of Fleetwood Mac, you might think of these other artists, but, like, it's so broad and specific. But 80s, when you mention someone in an 80s pop album... It's broad and specific? I mean... but when you think about an 80s like pop album or record you think about this thin production you think about like this very modern like you know experiment with digitization and synthesizers mm-hmm. and things like that and especially when you think of early 80s it's very dated it's stuff that never transcended the era mm-hmm. and as good as his songs may be and may say what you will about U2 one of the big strengths of U2 is that they were a group that came into the 80s and very much transcended it they were not bound by the production and style of the 80s and Billy Joel just succumbs to it yeah. he is a victim of it because Absolutely. when I listen to either and honestly, for me personally, I would throw the bridge at the last spot. That's fair. Because one of the things about Stormfront, uh, say what you will about the story that is the Taoister Alexa or, uh, you know, the popness of We Didn't Start the Fire, it ends with just a fucking killer ballad. It's yeah. the, the reminder of how good he could be. And yeah. So It Goes is heartbreaking and gorgeous. And, like, that part when he breaks down after the chorus and those synth pads come in, but they're just, like, quiet and subtle and it's just like this beautiful little moment I'm like this is the Billy Joel that we love this is the Billy Joel respect there's a reason that was a single off this album because like it connects in a way that none of the other material does and I actually have a weird personal connection with this song because um so my older brother and sister are a year apart Mm -hmm. and so they were both 
in high school at the same time, obviously, they and they were in the a cappella choir and they did a version of And So It Goes. Hmm. That's that was just they actually have a recording of it, which mm-hmm. is why I've heard it a couple of times, but it is stunning. And it was also a very direct translation. It was just the vocal melody expanded to include all of the chords played on the piano. And it's just like... Nice. So I, I hear that too every time <laughs> yeah. I listen to it. But even without How, that, yeah. it's just... It so surprisingly breaks the mold of this era mm-hmm. in a way that like Leningrad, which is also a piano and vocal ballad on mm-hmm. the same album, somehow doesn't break out of. Mm-hmm. And it, it might just be like minor production choices or melodic, but like, and so it goes is just such a cut above anything it, else that came it out. It is of like one of the best era. things that the album has to offer right. for sure. Yeah. Now the thing is for me with when I nominate the bridge, I will say, as someone, and Taryn and I, we actually had probably our biggest debate this week was over uh, the quality of the bridge. Because for me, Running on Ice, when that first started with this like furious piano melody, I'm like, oh my god, this is mm-hmm. fantastic. It's I kind of dig the song. This is the time. I actually like, especially this those verses. This is the time You're thinking about, you're like, just this the way is, it kind of builds. This is the musical theater thing. Right, yeah. exactly. But like, it kind of like, there's this building method, and it is very Broadway. And I actually like the end result on there. It's just the rest of this goddamn album. There's not a song on the bridge that's as good as And So It Goes. Wait, you mean you don't like the song about uh, Ray Charles and Billy Joel fucking their pianos? <laughs> uh, no. That or the goddamn Cindy Lauper collaboration. She's such a temptation. I forgot that she was on that track until like this week. Right, and it's yeah. just and she doesn't do much to nope. add to it. I assure you. No, but she doesn't. Yeah. And the thing, and, the, and otherwise, the rest of the bridge, I don't give a shit Guys, about this. Guys, sometimes album. Joels just want to have fun. I might add that to this conversation. Yeah, well, every time a song like when I had when I had the discography on shuffle this week, and a song would come on and they'd be like, "Oh fuck this one," <laughs> and then I'd check and it was from the bridge without right. fail. And that's like there were songs from Stormfront and River of Dreams Which and like, even yeah. Nylon Curtain a little bit where I was like, uh, but like, <laughs> thanks for the support. But like the bridge there is consistently, I was like, God, why does this exist? Right. Like, and that's so I would agree. The bridge is definitely in in the last spot for me. I'm perfectly fine with putting the bridge okay. in the last spot in large part because both of those to me are Joel's sort of bottom. Yeah. Um, and I think that in looking over the the track list for both of them, neither one has a like set of hits that stands out. Like to me, with the bridge, the things I remember are "Running on Ice," "This Is the Time," and yes, "Baby Grand" with Ray Charles. I remember um, it for all the it's wrong the, the the metaphors are a little mixed, and you don't understand if they like want to bang their pianos or if it's like a spiritual yeah. thing. Um, but when it comes to Stormfront, like I remember, yeah, I remember Down Easter Alexa. Um, I, I do think that's like him trying to reach out to the working man. Um, and so it goes is wonderful. It's a story um, song. It's but the thing that's shame. striking to me about Stormfront, and I once I was re-listening to it for the podcast, I didn't have this frame of ro- uh, reference until I listened to it again. But there's a bunch on that record that's like very, very dampered hair metal. Like yes. the title track with its guitar oh, solo yes. could be a Skid Row song. I think it's that's like why he, totally. And that's why he that. said a Phil Collins record, which like I get <laughs> even if it's not totally accurate but like mm-hmm. the phil collins sound informed so much of Those all of the other genres yeah it's, it's phil yeah. collins and peter gabriel with yes the synth stuff. yeah it's both of them where it's like the like received version of both of those artists i'm just like oh, can you imagine you if phil this? collins and peter gabriel ever formed a band together that'd be cool it's just two bald dudes rubbing their heads <laughs> together. I know, yeah. uh yeah also <laughs> all... rubbing their heads together <laughs> heads, yeah. oh, oh yeah, rubbing their exactly. heads together. But hey guess what uh when in rome 
do as the Romans do. Yeah. No. I, are we are we cool putting Stormfront at eleven? Because I, I I'm am. very cool. Very cool. Yeah, All right. Cool. Let's get number it. number twelve. The bridge. Number eleven. Stormfront. I love it. Taryn O'Reilly. Yes. Number ten. Okay. So this might be a little surprising. Okay. Okay. But up next for me would be Street Life Serenade. You may not... Okay. Because I think Los Angelinos is fun. It reminds me of Proto Steely Dan. um, And the entertainer is also fun, but such an obvious grab at an attempt to recreate the magic and success of Piano Man that like Mm -hmm. kind of annoys me a little bit. And that's literally all of my highlights from this record. Oh, oh, also I like Root Beer Rag, but that well, one's an instrumental. Root Beer Rag's fucking awesome. It's yeah. just fun. Yeah. But like, this album to me has like, it doesn't even have the, like, anything at the level of And So It Goes on it for mm-hmm. me. Like, mm, right. it's just, it's just very plain. And you can tell that like, it was written on tour, recorded like, very recorded quickly. really quickly, yeah. you know, you can tell, like, this was the album where he was so unhappy with working with session musicians and how, like, clean and bland that made the sound that then he rejected that for the next mm-hmm. album after this. Like, and I think you really hear that. You, I definitely hear why he wasn't happy with this result. Yeah. Okay. I think that's an interesting take, and I'm not necessarily going to completely disagree. Uh, just because Streetlight Saturday Night, it does feel rushed. I mean, literally every song that you mentioned is, like, the thing that's on there. For me, I like The Entertainer. It's interesting to me that Billy Joel has a litany of hits about how bitter he is about fame. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and even, like, and the great thing about Cold Spring Harbor is that when he does that with Everybody Loves You Now, there's still a little bit of, like, you know, acid on that. And it's just, like, he does that. He kind of does a little bit more piano, and then he does The Entertainer. Like, it's a running theme for him. He has a very weird relationship with fame and popularity. That being said... Uh, Streetlight Serenade, while I wouldn't call it a great album, it's one of the things where having a couple bland songs on there is, you know, not the worst crime in the universe. Because there is at least, I can at least take The Entertainer. Some of the sins have sounded dated, I still take it. Obviously, Root Beer Rag, it's a lark, but I enjoy it. Uh, like, you know, there's there's just small moments on here. I wouldn't necessarily put that next, but I would say it's coming up. For me, personally, Wait, I got... Before we move, do you have th- thoughts on this album? Of course I do. Yeah. Um, so... Street Life Serenade, I rank slightly higher than I think you would and you would, although I certainly wouldn't rank it in the upper echelon. Not in terms of the individual songs, because I think the only lasting songs from this are probably The Entertainer, and even The Entertainer is somewhat hampered by that like really cloying Peter Gabriel synth yep. thing. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I think Los Angelinos and Street Street Life Serenade are the first two tracks. I really like them, but they're definitely Los like... Of, it's of the like 70s, like you're doing the Fender Rhodes piano thing. Um, so it's very much a relic of its time, and Root Beer Rag is like baby ragtime. It's like, let me it's write Scott the most Joplin. boring thing in C major. I mean, um, it, works. It's like enjoyable. it worked for what it's, it is. It's, it's enjoyable, but it's not brilliant. But yeah. the, what this record is for me, and I thought that upon when I was going back to my complete re-listen of the discography, was to me, because Cold Spring Harbor is so... It, it, there's such the controversy about it, its production and it being outside of what Billy Joel wanted that record to sound like, that I took Piano Man as kind of his proper debut. Mm-hmm. But to me, in terms of the song, or the, excuse me, the sound that lasts for the duration of his career, to me, Street Life Serenade is where we start to hear Billy Joel 
that we would come to know in the subsequent records. In uh-huh. large part because Piano Man has a couple of genre larks, like yes. Travel and Prayer in particular. Where it's just Ballad like, of Billy you know, the Kid. Yeah, Billy the Kid, yeah. um, where he's not really doing that kind of thing. And it seems like Piano Man, he's... I mean, there are a couple of obviously core classics. Um, I really like... There are some like minor tunes from that record, like Stop in Nevada and You're My Home, that I actually like. Um, but obviously that has Piano Man, it has Captain Jack, those kind of things you can hear, but it's bogged down with enough kind of genre experimentation to me that it doesn't feel like his breakthrough. Street Life Serenade, on a track-by-track basis, doesn't hold up as well, obviously. I don't think that it's as good a record as Piano Man is. But in terms of its consistency across the ten tracks, it feels like, okay, you know, it's a This Protean, is an album? Yes, and it's the Protean version of what Billy Joel would later become. It's not a great record. I'm not, like, yeah, saying no, that. and I, I agree with, on all accounts, it is absolutely, it's the first album that sounds like the like peak Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's moving past his, like, proto-early 70s singer-songwriter style and he's moving into more of the like full band classic Mm -hmm. rock but unfortunately it's just like i even looking at it as a whole album it's just it's so unmemorable to me that i Mm -hmm. i it's hard to put it in the same league as the other things that are around right you know okay so but yeah you mentioned evan that this was not necessarily your next pick next pick but it's the one that's coming up what would you put in this spot oh i mean clearly it's river of dreams if we're going to be honest with ourselves here uh, because River of Dreams, I will say about this album, is that it is a very broad album. It's not necessarily as constrained by production as his other 80s albums that weren't an innocent man were, or the Nylon Curve for that matter. But the thing is, I will say that it, it, River of Dreams is like still not Billy Joel. That's the weird thing about this album. There's a lot of orchestrations that are Beatles-esque. When you think about uh, Blonde of a Blue, it's like he's clearly trying to do the whole fucking... Uh, Oh, Roy Orbison thing all over again. And oh, then, like, sure. Absolutely. And then, like, Shades of Grey, there's, like, little dots of police references on here <laughs> that kind of come through. The production is lush. The production is, like, mm. colorful. It is a very colorful album. But in terms of, like, what are my fucking takeaways on this goddamn thing? And the answer is pretty much nothing. The thing is that, like, mm. I will say that Street Life Serenade is not a great album. I'd say there's a couple songs that I will absolutely take out of it. I will say that I will agree with you, Bryce, that it is more of a considered album altogether. Together. But River of Dreams is just like, again, this, we run into this thing where like, we got the bad albums out of the way, but River of Dreams is like memorable for the color, but not much else. Because again, yeah. this is again, not yeah. Billy Joel. You and know? I, I hear you. Yes. And again, don't totally disagree, <laughs> but like, I would rather have color than not. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, if no, we're yeah. going to have a, if we're going to have like a, an overall like bland, not super inventive choruses, like something that doesn't totally get stuck in your head. At least there's cool shit happening in the background, right? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I actually, I really want to like Great Wall of China. I actually think, I think the production that's happening. He loves that song. The production and the, the, even the vocal melody on the verses are actually, it's actually kind of brilliant. Mm -hmm. It like, it really, I wanted it to be good so bad. And then that (laughs) chorus happens. Yeah. Can you sing Um, it for us? (laughs) And we're standing on the Great Wall of China. Um, Or something along those lines. There's also just, as as you get later in his career, and then the, the part that annoys me so much is because on like Goodnight My Angel, which is one of the takeaways from, from mm-hmm. this for me. Um it's again, again, late career, if piano ballad, always mm-hmm. gonna be good. Yeah. But like 
you hear his vocal take on that and it's so beautiful and gentle and loving. And then on the rest of this album, it's all about soul. And you're like, stop, Billy, just fucking well, sing. And it's so weird. It's what so are these weird. voices? Why do you keep doing all these voices? I, just sing the song. I feel like his piano ability, and he admits as much, has kind of degraded a little bit over time. Well, and yeah, he weird. was in a car accident yeah. with, and he had to get like surgery and months of physical therapy on his hand during Nylon Curtain. Right. They, but they weren't sure if he'd be able to play again at all. Over time, though, it feels like he actually became a better singer consistently, record per record per record. He just, like, that voice got more and more enmeshed. It got trained. It just got a lot more confident. I mean, he got older. Uh, right. Spring Harbor, well, but even some without people, the pitch shifting, are, yeah. he was only, like, 26. Yeah. Well, but Evan is right in one way. Like, if you think back to Turnstiles, for example, you have, like, Summer Highland Falls, where his voice is up here in the tenor range. Yeah. And then you have... Uh, New York state of mind where it's down here trying to do the like soul thing yeah. and it like doesn't like work as well and like for the faults of River of Dreams which for the record I'm perfectly fine with putting at the number 10 spot oh you are um, okay. oh, that yeah. would have been uh, your nomination um, well I don't know that it would be my nomination I've got a couple of like throw up considerations um, I mean, but, also, this is number 10 on the list of 12. I'm not going to fight for any of these. But like, but here's what I'll say. And like, as you explained it more, it made sense to me. Because like, my takeaways from River of Dreams are uh, No Man's Land, which are this, like, it's, it's like this like critique of consumerism. Billy Joel, welcome to the resistance. Um, <laughs> uh, the Great Wall of China. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> There's like that lyric. Oh and, and, and as not great of a lyricist as Billy Joel is for the bulk of his career, there's that line where he's like, give us unto, or give unto us this day our our daily discounted like stores. I don't know if you remember that lyric. I can't remember the phrasing of it quite right. I liked that. that. Hurt, yeah. um, and then uh, Great Wall of China. I'm not. I don't love it. But like, th there's that like I, I that opening hook. The uh huh huh. I, I like right. I, that always yeah. is in my head. And yeah. then I actually and I can't prove this. But I have to believe that the title track on River of Dreams, which for some reason, by the way, the album is called River of Dreams. Uh -huh. The song is called The River of Dreams. I don't know what the deal with that is. I believe that um, song is called uh, In the Middle of the Night. <laughs> but I have to believe that because this was released right around the time that uh, Disney's The Lion King was right. released, and Elton John did that soundtrack, that this was a failed attempt for Billy Joel to bid for that soundtrack. No, no. Let's Google it. Lion King was after this. It's, well, it, it, was, it was released after this, but it would have been in development around the time of this album's release. I mean, okay. All right, Bryce's I, Conspiracy Theories, a new podcast. Uh, so listen, but also, it's far from... The, it, River of Dreams, it's... it's but just like, that, like... Uh, to me, River Wee of Dreams was... Wee yeah, yeah, but like, like, that's, that's that. Even without that, it was a callback to Innocent Man, to the doo-wop. Like, it, it's of. not... It's not like a, a new style from him that he stole from Elton John because he heard Billy the Lion Joel King ghost wrote early. the Lion King soundtrack. You heard it. You heard it here first. Oh, you heard it here first. We've not been great. No, guys. I'm not giving you that one. All right, so I'm gonna say my personal vote would be number ten, River of Dreams, only if number nine is Streetlights, Sarah and I. That's my personal thing. Taryn flipped it. I'm fine with that. That's not how I would have it. Actually, I would also have turnstiles below River of Dreams. What? what? That's, um, <laughs> Holy shit! That is so wrong! Um, but, yeah, we can we can do that. 
Okay. Oh man. Are you okay with number ten, River of Dreams? I'm very number okay. With okay, that. let's go ahead and knock those in right there. Uh, well, but let's just have uh, Taryn just talk about his recent revelation uh, of his lack of the love of turnstiles for us. Yeah, you, that that, you wouldn't I, buy. Now, that right, I will not abide. Context <laughs> context for turnstiles though. This was his album that he did at, basically after he was displeased with Streetlight Serenade, his performance and how it was produced and dealing with such musicians. He argued with the label. He was like, "I'm gonna produce this myself. Also, I'm bringing in my band." And the label didn't want that because they like reliable studio session musicians. And all of a sudden, he's bringing in his band, his you know, raucous little band here to try and do these things. But he's like, I want to capture something. I really, really do. So a lot of people, it's a very much a different kind of album. There's a couple of very interesting songs on here, but I want to have Taryn take it away. Okay, maybe that was a bit hotter of a take than I meant it to be. Because <laughs> um, I also, at, at this point, there are a few things that I think could go next. But Turnstiles is like my... Prime candidate. Yeah. Um, and that's, I just, uh, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, one of my favorite Billy Joel songs. Great. For sure. Mm -hmm. I get annoyed with anyone who does the, like, proto-reggae thing. <laughs> that's and, fair. Dink and it, he does it a couple it, times. It, he actually dink does it. Dink it. Um, well, it's not all you want to do is dance. Yeah, all, all you want to do is dance. I was trying to find, because it's elsewhere on his... But it's not really in turnstiles. Like, all you want to do is dance. It's kind of the lark on that record. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. No, I mean, like, whenever it shows up, there's, like, one it's per like record. It's like the equivalent like four of, of uh, Do Your Maker on Led Zeppelin's House No, that's literally, yeah, exactly. Literally it that is that equivalent. And I think it's even the same year. But, like, you know, New York State of Mind is a classic, it's a great of song. course. But it's, like, it's fine. Like, it doesn't, it's not it's as, awesome. it's not as, like, blow me away as so many of his other piano ballads. That, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I'm fine with it. Ang no Empire State Angry Empire. Young Man is actually, like, a Fucking big, fantastic. Yeah. big takeaway from the me. The incel anthem. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God. <laughs> See, Evan and I had a disagreement about this. Evan thinks it's about incel. I don't I think, think it's about incel. I think it's a protean critique of the Bernie bro. Because if you think about it, it's about, the song is about someone who wants to change the world and radically well, overhaul things. things. Um, and Billy Miami Joel's point is basically like, oh, he's very angry and hot-headed, but ultimately he can't affect anything because he, like, doesn't see the real world around him. He's yeah. just so driven by his vision. Anyways, uh, I Bernie 2020. That's so the thing I will say, though, is that uh, Turnstiles is like, I would not call it the greatest Billy Joel album of all time. I'm not even sure if it would make it to the next episode, but, like, it's good. Uh, that's yeah. You and know, actually, good. like the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm like, oh, I actually think like I've I've loved these days is like pretty great. Summer and, Highland like, Falls. That is one does of it for the me. best. It absolutely. Wait, does. really? Yes. I that, I'm kidding. That, that one, song. like, I can barely remember what it sounds like. Oh, that just like I this gorgeous and not the best of times. It's yeah. so good. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah, and like, so the thing is that like this is like a good album, but also we're kind of like even after we've gotten the really bad ones out of the way, like. It's getting a little bit tight over here. Um, I am astonished. And uh -huh. even with many of the quality songs that are on there, in terms of just their basic composition, not necessarily how they were produced, obviously we've acknowledged that um, Cold Spring Harbor was not produced to its intended standards right. uh, by the artist. But, like, it's a frequent candidate for, like, bottom-tier Billy Joel. And I think that those are people who haven't actually, like, really listened to it. I would agree. Or people who don't like early 70s singers. Well, and this is refreshing. Music, no, I, is, I, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, Which is, but... I think, you know, maybe that there there are people... Like, if you, if you have, like, the Stranger 52nd Street, We Didn't Start the Fire Billy Joel fans, then, like, mm -hmm. they don't like Cold Spring Harbor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like... 
And I think also probably I'm I'm assuming that some people just haven't bothered to listen to it because of its reputation. Yeah. But like there are great ass songs Absolutely. on here. Everybody loves you now. You sort of already touched on it. Well, yeah, like, and a piano intro. Well, the um the thing about uh, so many of the songs from that record. There's I I'm gonna get the title wrong. I think, but it's right after Fifty Second Street. He releases a live record called I believe Songs from the Attic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yes, it, that's correct. It, it's right before Glass Houses, and he and many of the highlights on that record, including Everybody Loves You Now, are songs from Cold Spring Harbor, and it was basically his way of like reclaiming those songs mm-hmm. because after The Stranger he was financially capable of doing a lot of stuff with like his song rights in a way that he wasn't able to do before um, and so I certainly I, I, I was not um, meaning to say that like Cold Spring Harbor was trash because I don't think that it is but because I think that I think that it's not, both the things that you've identified the people who only listen to him for the singles where it's just like Stranger Fifty uh, Second Street, and then all the way to like, well, but they would probably hop from that to Innocent Man because of like Uptown. Girl well, I think, stuff. or they would just and do then, what tens of millions of people did and bought Billy Joel's Greatest Hits volumes one and two, two. A, one, one of the, the best selling albums. albums of all time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think that uh, in for the like Joel stands, if you will pardon the phrase, um, is. Um, that because he has such a negative view, not of the songs themselves, but because of the way they were encased in the album Cold Spring Harbor, uh-huh. have such a negative view of it. So this is, I, I, this is refreshing. Like, I was kind of expecting, uh, even though I know that you both, like, pay attention to the songs and yeah. not necessarily... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, more su- I'm more surprised that you're surprised that we're not surprised by this. That's really the biggest thing. <laughs> because honestly, like, Cold Spring Harbor, Inception. I'm not going to call it the greatest album of all time. But, like, the thing is that, like, I will say, one thing, I've always, I'm always a fan of debuts. Especially mm-hmm. because, like, for a lot of times it's an artist, like, okay, i got to put everything on the line because this might be your only chance. And especially for Billy Joel, he had a couple different times. He had this mm-hmm. band, The Hassles, which were a thing that didn't go anywhere. He had his organ and drum duo Attila, which is a wall of sound. That was rough. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and also let's not forget the album cover where they're dressed like Huns and they're in a meat room of a yeah. restaurant. You know? In um in an interview with um, I believe it was with Vulture, uh, the interview posed to him, What would you do if you had the opportunity to make Attila two? <laughs> and his response was yeah, that would basically be my metal machine music, and nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> right, which is fantastic. And so the thing is, like, Cold Spring Harbor isn't great, but, like, there's a vulnerability to it here, which you don't always get with some of those other albums. Because a lot of the times, especially when he does ballads, there's always, like, a little bit of snark wrapped around him. Like, very uh, only rarely do you actually get the real thing. So it's kind of refreshing on here. And also, you see him stretch out a little bit here, because for him to do Nocturne then, like, that's his yeah. stab at, like, pseudo-classical, whatever yeah. composition. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. And, that's, and you find follow Nocturne with Got to Begin Again, which is like, it's, the lyrics aren't like super complex, mm-hmm. but it's just, you know, that, that sets the standard for how good all of his piano ballads are going to be. Yeah, and like, yeah. I think it's beautiful. I like singing along to it. This album also has Falling of the Rain <sighs> that on was, it. Oh, like one of my big... like that song? Yes! Yeah! Okay. You know, you just had a reaction. He just had a reaction about another song that we both like, which was uh, "Summer Highland Fall." So, listen, everyone's gonna like a different shimmery piano. Like "Falling of the Rain" is like a Donovan lyric onto which Billy Joel hastily stapled a piano ballad. Oh, it's so wonderful! It's so it's like well, misty you, satin dream. Are it's you like, trying it's to like, like dis Donovan right now? I, yeah. I love Donovan. Wow, I'm I don't saying, think you do with that kind of attitude. I was saying, like, what's the problem with that? <laughs> Donovan is great. I just don't think Donovan should be on a Billy Joel record because I just don't buy the words 
misty satin dreams out of Billy Joel. Yilson, you're a hurting dreamer. He was still finding where he was. He he hadn't become the Billy Joel that you know yet. Yeah, he was some guy. No, but even even within the context of that record, like one of the things about this record that is striking to me is that you have like Nocturne, where he's making that attempt at like classical composition, Uh and I think that that's a successful interlude. You have She's Got Away, which is of that standard genre, where it's just like, you could expect like Frank uh, Frank Sinatra to sing that if he were still alive. See, I feel like more than like, that one feels less standard and more Paul McCartney to me. And there's actually a couple times on this album where I'm like, you can tell it's 1971 and the Beatles just had their heyday. You know, like well, yeah, it's as, like before, that song versus um, "Baby" or maybe I'm amazed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, but like every time, especially in these early records, when it doesn't sound like Billy Joel to me, it sounds like Paul McCartney. And like, mm-hmm. think about think about his vocal takes on "You Can Make Me Free." Like, you can yeah. make it so much better. Well, at the end like, of the album, he's like, "You can make it so much better." Like he like strange. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like he's trying to do that that McCartney wail that he mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Like there's a couple times, and so I think that's also part. Part of why I like it is like, hmm. yes, it doesn't feel super like Billy Joel yet, but yeah. I don't, I, I never have a problem with, is this album a good, like a good representation of this artist's sound? Cause that's not what we're talking yeah. about. That's fair. We're so, talking about, are the songs good? Yeah. yeah. And the thing is that like, I gotta be honest. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest here. There's a lot, we have still like other albums left. I think it's down between Cold Spring Harbor and Turnstiles for me now that we've talked about it because looking at the other albums like I real I can't take any of them into consideration yet. Not even Nylon Curtain? Cuz I mean if you guys balked at Turnstiles coming up next and that would be my other option is Nylon Curtain. And and I get why you don't want to put it next because this is where he leaves McCartney behind and does a bunch of Lennon. Yeah, which is true. This Alan is a John Town Lennon and Laura Laura's, and Scandinavian well, Laura's Skies. Well, kind of a and, McCartney song. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. It is a little bit. But the but rest even, of the album, yeah. He even like does the voice a little bit. Laura. Yeah, but even Scandinavian Yeah, and he does the same voice on Scandinavian Skies, which is basically his fucking audition to be in I Am The Walrus, which is weird because it's like, guys, that was 15 years ago. It's not a good song. Uh, yeah. Oh. Wait, which so, song's not good? Scandinavian Skies. It's and, a perfectly fine song. Well, it's, no, it's a hot mess. It's like the string arrangements go from like point A to point Z. Yeah, but you could come. You could. You could claim that a day in the life is a hot mess too. No, I think a day in the life holds up. Like it hangs together. No, I mean I'm not saying that Scandinavian Skies is anywhere approaching that. Yeah, I'm not sure Scandinavian Skies slaps. That's what I'm saying. No, I think of the things on this. Okay, but record, so to be clear, the, the records that were brought up in the conversation for this next position are Turnstiles, Nylon Curtain, and Cold Spring, Cold Spring Harbor. Harbor. Yeah. yeah. So, Bryce, where are you on this? Turnstiles is my second favorite Billy Joel record. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and I recognize that this will be a battle that I will probably lose. Yep. But <laughs> guess what, Bryce? You are correct. And I, I, you know, I understand that it might end up in the no, lower I'm track so tile. curious what your number one is. Um... No, but you tell us okay. later. Anyway, um, so the Nylon Curtain also holds up because you get, um, in addition to the tear-jerking, somewhat Vietnam sentimentalizing classic, um, Goodnight Saigon. Did you say um, tear-jerking in earnest in reference to Goodnight Saigon? Yeah, did you see the performance oh. of that song at the Kennedy Center Honors where he performs it with a group of Vietnam vets with their arms interlinked? No, I didn't. I listened to the record. That's what I did, Bruce. I mean, it just... <laughs> it, 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 
it slaps emotionally. It's like Um, probably the worst thing on this record. So one thing as I was re-listening, and there are a couple, and actually it's on Glass Houses where this comes up uh, more so distinctly, but just speaking to the Nylon Curtain. The song She's Right on Time, that's just like, like when he commits to writing a pop song, and it's like, this is just going to be a pop song. It's not going to have any accoutrement like Mm -hmm. um, Scandinavian Skies, for example, where it's like there's like five different string arrangements in the same song. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the chorus to that is so simple. I think it's maybe four or five lines lyrically, but it's so good. Like that holds up. Um, Pressure could be a good song if it wasn't mired by the aforementioned 80s production. I disagree. I like that song. I think that thing that he's singing right now would have sound like shit no matter what synth patch you put it on. Also, that, just the Pressure! <laughs> just like everything about Why it. Why did you just like, sing pressure like so Scott Stapp? Because that's not what I'm seeing like. it like fucking Billy Joel. <laughs> or or Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh god. No, but I actually I really like Allentown. Oh I, no, yeah, that one that's that grew on me yeah, a lot. That's, this some, week. that's some working class blue collar, like mm-hmm. have a couple of Bud Lights and go home and not bang your wife type of song, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good song. Oh, I don't know, yeah. like and like yeah, A Room of Our Own and Surprises, like, to me, those are, like, good, like, mid-album tracks. Like, I'm not yeah. gonna, like, talk about them, but I they're like good. I like Surprises. I like Where's the Orchestra, because I'm a sucker for a piano ballad, Meh. but it's, yeah, like... it's it's a he curious... Has, it's a curious He song. has so many better piano true, ballads. True, true. I've right. talked about about six of them already. <laughs> like, but here's the point of tension that I feel. Here's where I could sort of start to gather that maybe there's a distinction with our respective views on Billy Joel's career. Because my next pick for this slot uh the number nine slot would be an innocent man you mean the number eight slot the number eight yes yeah. that's right yeah we already put three upside down um, and here's hey, hey. <laughs> fuck no first of all <laughs> innocent man really yes and i won't get into the details because i can already tell that this will be a conversation that will probably happen later in this podcast and i would care for it to happen but in terms of song construction and just the basic facts of the building blocks of the song on that record, it's not a bad album, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, uh, the vocal arrangements on um, uh, For the Longest Time, um, even as nauseating way overplayed as it's been, um, Uptown Girl is very well done. Uh, Leave Her Tender Moment Alone, also a very good song. Interesting is, choice. To me, it it is ultimately, and it, it's interestingly placed because what happens after that are the two late 80s records that we put at the bottom of the list Mm -hmm. is that's joel hiding behind the influences that he likes and he's openly admitted that admitted that throughout his career he's been derivative he said that but yeah you can tell by the voices he puts on yeah he's trying to evoke the artist he's but like on those songs it's like oh i get it you're trying to write the book and music for the jersey boys like 20 years before it exists like, it's not bad. Like, I, I, I can't dislike those songs, but if I'm ranking these uh, records in terms of what I think the greatest achievements of Billy Joel as an artist are, I'm more interested in the achievements where, even though, obviously, he's kind of a muddled source of, inf- or a muddled confluence of influences, I want those things where it's not as exceedingly obvious as it's on, the, on An Innocent Man. I get what you're saying. But I also think that Innocent Man was a good decision, especially when you admittedly look at the three albums that came after it that were in the style of the current era he was recording in, Mm -hmm. and that did not fit him very well. And so as the 80s were starting, and he had already done Nylon Curtain, which is a pretty 80s sounding album when it's not sounding like Lennon... (laughs) 
Um, you know, this the synths are Vladimir definitely, Lennon, by the way. <laughs> the synths are definitely out in force already, and and it was not as commercially successful as he probably had hoped. Mm-hmm. You know, he had come off of Glass Houses, had his first number one single on it. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, you're two albums later and he he's trying to recreate commercial success. Also, pop culture goes in cycles. It's 1983, so 20 years earlier, Duwop was on its way out, but that is the right era to call but back to. But there had already been the Greece, the fifth in the 70s. There was the 50s revival when you had Greece, when you had all these other like yeah. things that came through in terms of like so there was so it, precedent yeah, set for it. Exactly, you know? there was an audience already for it, and it wasn't as radical a departure as you may think. Regardless of how you feel about like oh, it, the, its American influences are so you know obvious. Obvious. Tell her about it is one of the best pop songs ever recorded. Like, that is just, it's one of, like, my favorite songs of all time. And, I, you know, I like Uptown Girl a lot, too. It has been more overplayed, I feel like. Yes. Which is funny, because Tell Her About It is actually the one that went to number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's just, like, it's, it's pop perfection. And mm-hmm. as much as we talk about Billy Joel as a rocker, is, you know, a incredible pianist he's a pop songwriter fundamentally I fundamentally yeah start to finish he he writes pop music and innocent man is one of his biggest pop triumphs right. and so while i understand why you don't like it as much given your explanations mm-hmm. i just completely disagree so here's the thing about this podcast is that the thing is that we spent our times, we crash course on these artists, we listen to these albums here. And the thing is like, like us literally getting into the songs, getting into the details, getting into the biographical context that informs a lot of these albums and how they play out is, is fascinating. I always love going on this journey. But then we have moments like the one we just had right now where we nominate these albums here like, oh, I think Cold Spring Harbor should be here. Oh, I think Turnstile should be here. And that leads to us talking about it and reevaluating our own thoughts and opinions on these albums too, kind of live, in action, while we're recording. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of great. And so in doing that, talking about Cold Spring Harbor, talking about Turnstiles, talking about these albums is like, kind of give me a second bit where like, because in your mind, you're like, there's no way I'd nominate something like fucking 52nd Street or whatever, because like, you know, this is like a sacred cow, an iconic album. And like looking at this, I'm like, wow, we're talking about these other albums. And unfortunately, I have to be that fucking asshole right now that stirs the pod a little bit because like, listen, Cold Spring Harbor is, and you know, Nylon Curtain are probably coming up real soon. There's an album I would put below those. Wait, one that we also have not talked about Correct. yet? Should we uh, do that in part two? No, I think we should do it right now, because we're just going to have a very epic final part. Uh, okay. So for me, listen, guys. I understand it's beloved. A lot of people think it's a very striking pose that he does. But genuinely... The takeaways I have on Glass Houses do not add up to some of the other ones that he has in his career, genuinely. And, like, there's some nice, wonderful moments on here, but, like, generally, if you're thinking about The Rock of All for Lenya, like, that's that's fine. Uh, Sleeping with the Television On is, like, a nice, like, I love the sentiment of it, but for an album where he tries to do these different rock styles on here, I don't know how much he succeeds. I... Is that, was that, is, you've mentioned that multiple times, you said it too, was that like part of the promotion for this album? Well, he's was that doing, he's like going back to rock and well, roll? not like, going back, he's diving into it. I mean, the cover is basically like Springsteen cosplay. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it doesn't sound any more or less like rock and roll than any of his other well, albums. Well, but there, there are things on this record, obviously the... the it's still rock and roll to me song on uh-huh. itself. But just that there's, there are postures Which, like there's mention of like, Oh, well the CBGB's culture is getting a lot of acclaim, but I'm not 
Like, kind of that, what you mentioned Because, earlier, like, Evan, Punk like, is starting to come up here. There's a lot of other things there. And he always views himself as a badass. He's a badass who happened to find his niche in piano pop and round mm-hmm. it that way. So when he sees the young kids come up there, he said in press and interviews that, like, he was like, he kind of wanted a part of it. Like, even when I saw a 1996 uh, question and answer session he did at a college, they mentioned, like, what are some current bands that you like? And he mentioned Bush and Pearl Jam. Like, he listens to the stuff mm-hmm. that the young kids are doing here. So he wanted to try something on there because he understood that his perception in the press was that he was quote unquote a soft rocker and the thing is that like he didn't feel like that was really a thing posed for him I'm just quoting you what he's no, saying I don't know. give me that face I yeah. wasn't giving you the face I was giving that thing he was saying the face <laughs> Jesus calm down I'm just because I'm looking at this album and when you have songs like Don't Ask Me Why which is 100% acoustic guitar and vocals yeah. and when you have things like uh, you may be right C'est is- toi or like Sleeping with the Television on like these are not rock songs. Right. Like, I, you no, know. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. Well, yeah. Like, but, all for Lena. And, and even, like, you may be right. Like, yes, he's rocking. But it's still, like. like, 50s rock almost. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You may be crazy. Like, all for Lena is the only one that, like, really feels like a rock number. But it also yes. sounds like he's putting on an Irish accent. <laughs> Like the way that he says Lena, and uh, like I like I know that it's just another pose, and mm-hmm. I think that's part of why like trying to be a rock star for this record aside, like he's just copying more poses, and he's done that for his entire career. He's, mm-hmm. he's done the the McCartney and the Lennon and the Bowie and the whatever. Yeah, and so like it, it, this doesn't yeah. feel particularly more. Well, I think, yeah, I think it was a the contrast. The contrast here are with the marketing of the record and the album cover reflects that it's literally him throwing a rock through a glass house. Um, he's wearing black leather, um, and jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so you have like a song, like it's still rock and roll to me, which is obviously like him saying like, yeah, well this is still you know rock and roll to me. But then you have songs like to me, this contains some of Joel's best pop songwriting of his career, namely in the forms of I don't want to be alone and sleeping with the television on, which are both incredible pop songs to me, but the wow. latter is closer to like the cars than it is to Bruce Springsteen. Right. Right. I mean like it's attempt in a rock song, but it borrows from new wave, uh, yeah. which is like an interesting pose. Cause especially if you're going to do a, song called it's still rock and roll to me and you're kind of like borrowing new wave elements i'm like this is blondie-esque like well, yeah it's still yeah. rock and roll to right. me it's not a rock and roll song <laughs> right right well and i think that's also part of the point of the song is that you know he lists a bunch of these different genres in the in the pre-chorus build-up on that one verse and it's like it's all rock and roll to me like that's you know, he's he's saying that all of these other styles that he's drawing from, it's like, yeah, you're trying to, like, pigeonhole me into these under genres. I'm just rock and roll. And so I think mm-hmm. that's why, like, it doesn't matter that that's the narrative of this album because it still just sounds like Billy Joel. Yeah. He can call it whatever he wants. He can call it all rock and roll, even though some of it is definitely not really. <laughs> I also think it's uh, yeah. very funny that Still Rock and Roll to me is like a super understated song. Like, yeah. The whole instrumentation is like very light drumming and like a bass group. <laughs> well, and the and guitar is like palm muted. It's yeah. very quiet. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I also, I think that song is brilliant. You know, the way that he, he switches back and forth between like the guy asking for advice and then it's just like very subtle multi-tracking to give the like voice of the Greek chorus. Yeah. I just, I think it's brilliant. And so, yeah, yeah. I would not put glass houses here. I, I, I understand what you're saying with like the rest, like the, the back half Mm -hmm. of this record is not super impactful, but I definitely think that the hits off of it, you may be right. Still rock and roll to me are like so fantastic. Yeah. 
So here's here's what I say. We've talked about these albums, and I'm really glad we did it because I've honestly, in real time, I've reevaluated some of my opinions. The chief takeaway among them is I know you nominated it. I really don't think I could put Turnstiles in the next slot. I can't that's either. like that's oh, like my yeah, favorite. no, yeah. I I am also not right. putting Turnstiles in the next okay. slot. Okay, I and also for that record, I also just I agree with you and fundamentally disagree with Bryce and his uh, ideas towards an innocent man. We'll get to that at a later time. That's just me. That being said, while I would nominate Glass Houses fully knowing it's not going to arrive at the number eight spot, between that and Cold Spring Harbor and Nylon Curtain, I feel like there's a discussion to be had here. Okay. I would personally, I mean, despite my Glass Houses, like, Cold Spring Harbor, Nylon Curtain is a toss-up I couldn't believe I thought was going to be happening because Nylon Curtain has feel like, feel like a few more dramatic failures versus Cold Spring Harbor's uh, naivety towards, you know, like his like first burst of what have you. What are what are Nylon Curtain's failures? Uh, where's the orchestra, personally? Surprises? No one knows remember what that one is like. <laughs> I do like A Room of Her Own because the sentiment, I think, is fantastic in yeah. terms of, like, you want to live with someone, you still need to have a sense of privacy, which is great. Uh, I, I would call Pressure and Goodnight Saigon failures, personally. That's wrong. That's <laughs> deeply wrong. Yeah. So, like, I, so I'm kind of, like, torn on there. If I, if I had my personal druthers, I would throw glass houses down here. If I had to pick... I'd say Nylon Curtain followed by a Cold Spring Harbor in my 876 ranking, but that's just my thoughts. So you're saying Nylon Curtain 8, eight. Cold Spring Harbor 7, and... No, 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 uh, I'd say Glass Houses 8, Nylon, uh, Nylon Curtain 7, uh, Cold well, Spring Harbor Well, I know Harbor what six. you would say. Yeah. No, I would, I would definitely say Nylon Curtain, I think, is next for me. Bryce. If Turnstiles isn't going down here, then it would be, yeah, it would be Nylon Curtain to... at the bottom, <laughs> then Cold Spring Harbor. Yeah. And then I feel like we need to keep talking because yeah, I'm willing to let Nylon Curtain fall on its own sword to preserve Turnstiles. Okay, upper. I mean, this is all part of the strategy. Yes, you know. Wait, where did you have Nylon Curtain? So between those next, I would have Cold Spring Harbor in the next spot. I would then have Nylon Curtain. Then I would, I would, I would have several albums about Turnstiles, obviously. But if I were picking between those three, I would put Turnstiles ahead of those two. Yeah. I could. I'm a little bit torn. I could go nylon. But at, well, let's just talk about the ranking we're at now. Which yeah, is just let's get eight. the next two albums out of the way. Yeah, number. So we're at eight. Yeah, eight nylon curtain, seven Cold Spring Harbor. It's it's tough. I'm gonna just do a second back that. I'm gonna back that pony right there. I will. So I will concede. Okay. I mean, listen. It's a tough. I mean, we've been talking about it for over an hour at this point, and we also have a whole another episode to go, and we've already laid down the groundwork because the rest of these albums, we're gonna be talking about them in great detail. We're going to tell each other about it. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic. So guys, for those listening at home, that is number 12, The Bridge. That is number 11, Stormfront. That is number 10, The River of Dreams. That is number 9, Street Life Serenade. Number 8, The Nylon Curtain. Number 7, Cold Spring Harbor. I know some of you Joel fanatics out there have a lot of things to say. And here's how you do it. You find us on the gmail.com. You find us on Facebook. You find us on Twitter. That's what you do. Because in the meantime, we got six other albums to rank. we got a Bracey Cell in studio. And we're going to do that in the part two of this incredible discussion that we're having. In the meantime, though, Bryce... Thank you for being here. Thank you. Let me just say <laughs> that we will all go down together. What voice is this? That's me doing Toby Keith. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, well, uh, if you, I don't. Since, since you both mentioned that you didn't um, see the Kennedy Center performance of Goodnight Saigon, who would you guess they had do that? Toby Keith. No. Okay. I don't have a who. Garth Brooks. <laughs> 
So on that <laughs> wonderful note, uh, do those a favor. If you rank us on iTunes and leave us a ranking, it's actually helpful because other people see the show. It's fantastic. Please do it. It takes a couple seconds. In the meantime, though, keep on listening. Still, the movie. See you in part two, guys. Thank you so much. And good Bigly Jobs Market. Wow, yeah, I yeah, hate yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool.